Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best books directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with John Shulian, the author of the gritty noir novel, A Better Goodbye, which was released last month. John, welcome. Good to be here, Steve. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to chat with you. I absolutely love this book, and it's it's that rare combination of literary and gritty crime. There there aren't enough of these novels written anymore, and I tend to think that these you know, books like these are the really good ones. And uh, a better goodbye really falls solidly in that category. So first, kudos to you for a fantastic book. Now let's talk a bit about the storyline uh, to give listeners a little sense of what the book is about. It's about two lost souls, I think two people who would qualify as lost souls. Uh, one is Nick Pasco, who is a was a boxer 10 years earlier, killed a man in the ring, and it derailed his career. And when we meet him, he's been laid off as a baggage handler uh, at Los Angeles Airport. And he's just drifting, taking odd jobs. Uh, one, one of the jobs he winds up taking is uh, providing security in a high-rise, uh, uh, high-rise apartment building where he watches over the flock at a sensual massage operation. One of the girls who works there is Jenny Yi, who is uh, uh, an Asian girl who is working her way through college in the sex trade and is kind of savvy and kind of naive. Um, very, very bright uh, and uh, doesn't, I, I think isn't really aware of the risks she puts herself at by working in the business until there's a uh, an incident, we shall say, in, early in the book, mm-hmm. and she, she runs, runs into the aftermath of it, and that uh, convinces her that she will only work in places where there's security. Uh, the, the, the person both Jenny and Nick work for is Scott Crandall, who is, uh, was once the star of a TV show called Stormy Weathers, uh, which was uh, <laughs> syndicated non-primetime junk, as he likes to think of it. And, uh, and now his acting career is in the dumper, and he is um, running. He's a pimp, basically, uh, to put it mildly, and he's... He in his his own way, I guess, is a lost soul. He's certainly pretty much friendless. The one ally he has, or thinks he has, is Onus Dupree, Jr., who is the son of a former big league baseball player and a seriously bad guy, a sociopath, whose, uh, whose every move is... Uh, violent, threatening, a criminal. Yeah, he's he was a lot of fun to write. <laughs> <laughs> and it it has to be a challenge because you've got these four distinct characters as you've described them. Uh, all of them could be completely unsympathetic uh, in in lesser hands, but they were all 
just completely engaging characters. And when we would go from one perspective to another, there's always that sense as a reader, it's like, oh, I was, you know, I was trapped in this story and now I'm over here. But but for me, in in A Better Goodbye, it was like, okay, all right, now we get to find out what's going on with this person. So I mean, it was, how challenging was that to, to create these characters and and do it in a way that that the reader... I don't know, has, has, not only has a sense of who they are, but sort of appreciates them for who they are. Well, you know, I, I mean, I just wrote them the best I could. That doesn't sound like a very brilliant <laughs> But, um, you know, I wanted to tell the story from different points of view. Uh, in the beginning, we have chapters devoted to each character. And then when they, when when they finally come together... In the, in the high-rise apartment, then we start, we, we go to different points of view within the chapters. So you'll, in the middle of a scene, we will jump from, say, uh, Dupree to Jenny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it just struck me that that was the only way I could think to tell the story. It seemed... It seemed logical, and I think as a writer, if you can convince yourself of the logic, that may be half the battle. Now, it, it's interesting to me that this is your first novel. You, you've written other books before. You, you are a, an award-winning journalist. You're a scriptwriter. You're a, a television show co-creator, a producer. Uh, pretty much everything that you can do in the writing life you have done before except write a novel. So uh, why, why something this gritty for your first novel? Well, you, you know, I, I suppose it, it comes from reading uh, too much Elmore Leonard and James <laughs> Crumley and uh, James Lee Burke. Now, now let on. me just jump in and say there's no such thing as, as reading too much Elmore Leonard. No, you're right about that. Actually, I, I'm at the stage now where I'm rereading Elmore. Yeah, I, I've, I've done that myself. <laughs> you know, those were the books, when I was traveling a lot as a sports writer, uh, those were the books that kept me company on a lot of flights. And I, and I really, really enjoyed them, and I loved the genre, and I think some of the best writing in American fiction is being done in crime novels. Uh, you know, really wonderful writing. I mean, James Lee Burke is a masterful writer, for instance. Uh, James Crumley was a wonderful writer. And Elmore Leonard, it goes without saying, was brilliant in the way he used dialogue to tell uh, in stories, mm-hmm. you know, following in the path of George V. Higgins. So, you know, I was just under the influence of these guys. And and I and I and I like noir. I like noir movies. You know, particularly the stuff from the late '40s and early '50s, like Out of the Past. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just it just seemed natural. And then I had, and then I just had to find the ideas for the book itself. And you know, one of them was Nick killing the man in the ring, killing mm-hmm. his opponent. And I, and I had read a story years years ago, right after I got to Los Angeles to, to work in uh, television, uh, about a fine young boxer from the San Fernando Valley who killed a man and it stopped his career cold. And this was a very promising boxer. Now, a lot of boxers fight their way past tragedy. 
Sugar Ray Robinson killed a man in the ring. Emil Griffith infamously killed Benny the Kid Perrette. Uh, when Ruby Goldstein, the, uh, the, the referee, froze and, and didn't uh, stop the fight in time. But both of, the, both of them continued to fight. Nick couldn't. Nick was paralyzed by it. And, and I thought that was a, a terrible burden for a man to carry, but also an interesting one. And how does he deal now when he's confronted with uh, situations where he must respond with violence? And then the other half of the equation was came from the back pages of L.A.'s Alternative Weekly, the, the L.A. Weekly. And there, when I got here, there were, it was a wonderful newspaper. They did terrific work uh, about the arts, about politics, about music. Um, if you wanted to see who was playing in town, you went to the L.A. Weekly. But in the back, back of the paper were page after page after page of massage ads, which, uh, and, you know, massage wasn't all they were selling, but it was what they were advertising. And, and I thought, there's a whole subculture here. There's, mm-hmm. there's something going on. And I thought, well, maybe the L.A. Times was, was really in its heyday back then would do something about it, and I don't believe they ever did, at least nothing I read. And L.A. Weekly wasn't going to talk about it because that was a great source of income for the paper. And so when the time came, I thought, well, we can marry these worlds. And then I had a boxer friend in Chicago when I worked there who had actually watched over a, uh, a hooker who had... Uh, been arrested and instead of calling a lawyer, just told the police everything she knew about the guy she was working for, and then was why it was being threatened. And uh, one thing led to another, and they had to call the boxer, and he just kept an eye on her, and made sure nothing happened to her. Hmm. So the, you know, the ideas come to you from different places, and this this place, I guess, I was triangulated. So. Now, I, one thing I think will be very interesting to listeners, as we've mentioned, you have a, a, an enormous background as a journalist and as a writer, uh, but, but this was your first novel. So my assumption uh, was that this was something that you wrote, sent off, got a publishing deal, and voila, it was published a year, 18 months later. Is that what really happened? <laughs> oh, I love a good joke. <laughs> um, no, this is not what happened. Uh, I wrote the first draft of A Better Goodbye in the uh, first six months of 2004. <laughs> and before I went off to teach for a semester at my alma mater, the University of Utah. And then I came back and I wrote another draft of it. And then I probably did some more polishing. I sent it to some writer friends for, for their notes and worked on it. And then I finally got an agent somewhere late in 2005, early 2006. And then nothing happened with that agent. And it was a, he was a wonderful guy, a legendary guy in the business. But he just 
couldn't seem to do anything for me. And after about three, three years or so, four years with him, then I changed to another agent who just really had the patience of Job with, with me. He, we sent it out. Every time I'd read a, a review of a crime novel, and I was published by a, a house that I wasn't familiar with, I'd call my agent and say, let's send the book there. Maybe they'll be willing to publish it. And, you know, and I have a raft of rejection letters. Um, n- nothing as bad as James Lee Burke, who was rejected his novel, The Lost Get Back Boogie, was rejected 111 times before it was published. <laughs> I didn't know that. when it was that. published, it was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize in fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, this happens in the best of families. But, uh, you, you know, and I, and I won't say that I wasn't downhearted many times. You know, we had one very close call at Random House. There was a wonderful editor there. Uh, one of the, one of the best editors in New York, and he liked the book. And his one note was that Nick, at that point, was too mopey for the book's good. He had the, the, this dark cloud that he was living under was just sort of casting a pall on everything in the book. So what I did was I rewrote a, one third of the novel based on that one note. And I pumped Nick up a little bit, tried to make him a little more amiable, gave him a little more attitude, a little more humor. Uh, He still has the tragedy in his life. He's still haunted by it. But he's a more rounded character. And uh, and, uh, it really, 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 really helped the book. And, uh, you know, a couple years later, lo and behold. um, (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) Just like that. Uh, you know, Tyrus Publishing uh, got, gave us the call, and we're we're off to the races. So, so that was a great note that you got from the the fellow at Rand. Did you say Random House? Yeah, yeah. Because Nick, in in this version of the book, is is just I don't know a very memorable character because he has this tragedy in his past, but the way he deals with it, it's there, and it's this enormous weight that that from time to time pulls him down a little bit, but he deals with it okay. And, and that, that just really seems to make him as a character, at least, at least for this reader. Well, I'm, yeah, bless your heart for your kind words about the book and about Nick. I, I really appreciate hearing that. Well, John, where can readers find this book? Well, it's on Amazon, of course. Um, it's, uh, I like to think it's at your finest uh, independent bookstores across the country. I know I'm going to be doing readings at a few places. I'm going to be, uh, this month, I'm going to be here in Pasadena, California, where I live, uh, this Thursday evening uh, at Roman's Bookstore, uh, which is a wonderful independent bookstore. Mm -hmm. And uh, next month, I'm going to be in Salt Lake City, Utah, at the King's English Bookstore, another terrific independent bookstore and then in uh in february i'm going to be in austin texas at book all right which is a 
a great town and a great bookstore. So. <laughs> and if, if you're not in any of those towns, but you like to buy from independent bookstores and you don't see it, just ask them. They'll get a copy. I'm sure of it. I certainly hope so. But it, but it is out there. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm 70 years old. And, and I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting to have to wait this long to publish a book. But it, but it feels good. It really does. Well, congratulations, because it, it really is an extraordinary book. I, I can't recommend it highly enough for people that like this kind of very literary, uh, yet noirish storytelling style. It, it, it's just really uh, an ideal example of that. So what's the best way for listeners to, what's the best place for listeners to find you online? www.johnshulian.com. All right, and I will spell that. It's S-C-H-U-L-I-A-N, and I will link to that in the show notes. John, thank you so much for being here today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Steve, thank you very much. I appreciate it. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.crimefiction.fm. If you do pop by the website, please sign up for the email list. I send out an email each Friday with a summary of the week's interviews. It's the best way to keep up with what we're doing and to be sure you don't miss out on great new books like A Better Goodbye from John Shulian. Thanks for listening.